Welcome to Talk of the Hill, your chance to step out of your comfort zone and dig deeper than the headlines into current affairs and important issues. Join us as we learn more about our communities through candid conversations with special guests covering everything from history and culture to entertainment and life advice. everyone welcome back to episode three of the talk of the hill podcast i'm your co-host hillary and i'm tabitha today's episode is going to focus on the topic of intersectional feminism with an emphasis on the perspectives of international students we like to provide a trigger warning that this episode will touch upon subjects that are related to sexual violence on campus and the most recent tragedy in atlanta which you may find upsetting you can find the timestamps of these mentions in our description of this episode. We are very grateful to have a full virtual house of guest speakers joining us today. So let's have them introduce themselves. Hi everyone, my name is Sue and I'm currently a fifth year environmental management student at UNB. I'm also the events coordinator for the Women's Center and my pronouns are she, her. Hi everyone, my name is Raven Lee Mills. I am a fifth year software engineering student from Jamaica and my pronouns are she, her, they. Hello everyone, my name is Shifa. I'm a third year nursing student and I'm so happy to be here. Hi everyone, my name is Emily. I use she, her pronouns and I'm currently the acting chair for the University Women's Center. I'm in my third year at STU doing a double major in sociology and women's and gender studies, and I'm originally from Boystown, New Brunswick. Thank you all so much for introducing yourselves. So as you can see, we have folks from a lot of different places and a lot of different academic backgrounds too. Uh, so the next thing we want to hear from you is we would like to know more about the University Women's Center. So could you tell us what it is first off and also what does it mean for the the campus community um so before i introduce you about the women's center i would like to acknowledge that the university women's center is located on the traditional ancestral un and unceded territory of the Wulistukewiyik. Um, this territory is covered by the treaties of peace and friendship with the which Wulistukewiyik first signed with the British Crown in 1725. The treaties did not deal with the surrender of lands and resources, but in fact recognized the Wulistukewiyik title and established rules for what was to be an ongoing relationship between nations. As the Women's Center, we would like to continue our fight against the systemic oppression that has disposed Indigenous people off their lands that we are all currently operating, working, and studying on. About the University Women's Center, I've been involved slowly since my second year with the Women's Center. I started off just going to different events that um, they hosted, and then I started volunteering in my third and fourth year, and now that I'm in my fifth year, I'm, I'm involved in the executive team members. And the Women's Center, to me, when I first started out, was just a safe space on campus with lots of great resources for women for sexual health or gender-based violence and feminist qualities. And I've always found the Women's Center to be a place that I go to talk about women's rights issues, gender issues, and be able to have that open-minded conversation in a very safe space that allows everyone to voice their perspectives. 
Not only that, the Women's Center also stock year-round condoms, dental dams, and menstrual products to support safe sex and menstruation. Um, in addition to the physical space, we also host a variety of events during the school year, like the vagina monologues. And um, last year, we did the couch coffee and conversations just to promote other women's work around campus and gender equality. That's what's all before COVID. And I came into the center as an executive member after COVID-19 started. And it was, it's now very different from what it was before. Right now, we don't have a physical space. Well, we still do, but it's limited to one to two people in the room. We can't, like, whenever I go to campus now and I walk by the center, it makes me kind of sad because I don't see the same atmosphere and conversation there anymore. Since COVID started, we have really tried our best to create that safe space, but bring it online instead and create virtual events like the Feminist Lunch Series online and allow people to connect through us. Um, on social medias like Instagram and Facebook. We've also created a website to push out resources for others and our newsletter is also ongoing. So thank you for that. That was really, really good background to have and nice to hear about how you've been involved over the years too. Uh, so now to our, our other folks joining us, maybe you could tell us more about how you came to be involved with the Women's Centre yourselves, because you're all involved in one way or another, and maybe tell us too what your favourite aspect of the Women's Centre is. So I actually have been introduced to the Women's Centre through Sue. Uh, I saw her doing her voluntary work uh, in the previous years, and I was really encouraged to you know, participate, especially given it's my last year and I still wanted to contribute to the overall mission of the Women's Center. So this semester, I am currently working as the University Women's Center Office Assistant. Um, and this position has been, you know, in the post-COVID era. So I haven't really gotten to really experience that uh, shared space Space and you know, sense of community that the actual women's center location gave pre-COVID, where everyone was allowed to come in. You know, you could make your own cup of tea. There would be multiple discussions. There's a chalkboard where you can write hello in your own language. So through Sue, I've come to know about the Women's Center and I've now started working for them and it's really one of the most more gratifying experiences that I've had. Uh, my favorite part would be uh, conducting interviews with Alicia Norgia Monderoy and Philomena Gracias. Um, I apologize if I butchered their names. For the Women's Center in honor of uh, Black History Month, we wanted to give a platform to Black women um, to voice any concerns that they had and uh, really address what Black feminism meant in New Brunswick and what is the personal experience of Black women in New Brunswick. And interviewing them as a Black woman myself, it was very, you know, enlightening. Also built a sense of 
community with these other Black women. That interview is actually on our website as well. It, it will be posted, so we can share that. So I would usually just go there to procrastinate doing my work for university, but <laughs> I'm going through there. I be, ended up becoming a volunteer there, and um, I just learned how to be uh, a safe person and um, just using my experience as a woman of color to advocate and get uh, other people who are of color and having their voices heard within the Women's Center. So I originally started volunteering with the center last year when I was in my second year after seeing their booth at the Stu Clubs and Societies Fair. And um, to touch kind of, I think, on Sue's point about the center acting as a safe space, that probably would be my favorite part of it, um, just because we really did get to foster conversations that a lot of folks might not be comfortable having elsewhere. And so that's kind of what really made me fall in love with the center. And then this year, I started out as the vice chair and then um, in second semester, I switched to the acting chair. Uh, so following up on that, we'd love to hear more about how the center has been involved in supporting student activism. Yeah, so last year, one of the big projects that the center collaborated with was the Save Clinic 554 campaign. And I actually started volunteering with that campaign as an individual. And through the Women's Center, we were able to help bring some exposure to its calls to action. And just to kind of give some backstory, Clinic 554 was a family practice located here in Fredericton that offered general health care along with specializing in mental health and addiction services and trans and reproductive health care. Clinic 554 really was like a safe space for the Fredericton community and the folks who worked there were informed on feminist and anti-racist practices as well. And prior to the clinic closing this past fall, they had called for our provincial government and Premier Blaine Higgs to repeal Regulation 8420, which limits Medicare funding for abortions to hospital settings and actually directly goes against the Canada Health Act. So in response to this, the campaign had created two petitions. One was directed at the provincial government and the other was towards the federal government. And these petitions called for the repeal of Regulation 8420. And through the Women's Center, we were, help, we were able to help facilitate a space for folks on campus to come sign these petitions. And as a result, we were actually able to get over 100 signatures on campus alone. And then to kind of turn it more towards this year, one of our big projects that we were involved with was collaborating with the accountability at UMB movement. And during the accountability at UMB movement this past fall, which actually occurred at multiple universities in the Atlantic region, we were able to offer support to survivors who chose to come forward, chose to come forward with their experiences of sexual violence on campus and or committed by students or staff members. And through this, we shared series of posts to bring awareness to sexual violence and how it specifically affects racial minorities. We had also offered a safe space online for folks to share encouraging words for, for survivors through our Instagram. And we also supported the protests that happened during this movement. And we worked with our board members to give feedback on the sexual assault policy on campus. Personally, during my second year, I called my used to call myself like then like a baby feminist. I came to Canada, did not know much about um, feminism at all. So um, through the Women's Center, I was able to make posters for the Women's March and learn um, a lot of things. And because the center is a safe space for the tri-campus area, which includes UNB and BCC and STU students, we get a lot of different perspectives coming in and to be able to sit among 
um, amazing educated people in the center and those foster those type of conversations. It helped me a lot, but it also gives, gives me the courage to be able to do activism in my own personal life. Um, which is also people coming into the center and question why there is, a, is even a cent women's center in the first place. I was able to um, state that it is important to have a safe space for um, women on campus to talk about gender-based issues. So the women's center does not only help me personally in my outward um, activism for um, social causes, but also in my personal life, be able to educate myself on areas that I still lack on and also hold other people accountable and educate them as well. Just before we move off of this topic, I just wanted to give uh, the other speakers an opportunity to share uh, an event or a movement or something you participated in with the University Women's Center that you were really proud of. I participated in the vagina monologues last year. Um, it was a very fun opportunity for, you know, my skills as an actor. <laughs> but um, it was also nice to see everyone being welcomed and, um, and uh, you know, just taking away that stigma from the male reproductive systems and bringing awareness to subjects like rape, sexual assault and whatnot. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, you folks definitely have been busy um, and I really think you all as young leaders have demonstrated over and over again, you can quickly organize and demand concrete action against social inequality. The fact that we still celebrate Women's Day proves that we still have a long way to go. And you're not just fighting for yourself, but for your sisters, your friends, your loved ones, and the next generation of women. It is indeed inspiring to see that not only you're there for one and another, but you're making to make this happen. The feminist movement has historically neglected the stories and experiences of women who did not grow up in middle class, wealthy, or white households. One particular brand of feminism cannot speak for these women's experiences. Um, this is why we need intersectionality, one of the main focus of our, our episode today. So before we dig deeper in the next question, let's brush up on what intersectional feminism actually means. In simple terms, it is inclusive feminism because it recognizes that while the feminist movement is made up of millions of women trying to fight the patriarchy and beyond, not all those women experience the same levels of discrimination. Women of color, for example, are statistically more likely to experience violence or discrimination than an average white heterosexual woman. And so intersectional feminism recognizes that feminism is not and cannot be a one-size-fits-all phenomenon. Shifa, based on your own experience and observation, what are your thoughts on the current feminist movement? And do you feel like the voices of the minority groups are being heard? I think the first thing we need to acknowledge is that the movement of feminists has been built by the fact of white feminists and has had a very racist uh, um, back, um, background. And it was usually used to silence women of color and um, it didn't include women of color. It didn't include trans uh, people. So with that being said, of course, we've made some progress um, within the last few years by including uh, diversity and whatnot. But the thing that I have an issue with is, are you including all these minorities for your own personal agenda to show that you have a diversity? Or do you genuinely care about giving us a voice and having our uh, experiences being heard? 
Um, it just goes back to tokenism and performative inclusion because I just feel like in the today's movement, I feel like inclusivity is a trend almost, if you will. Um, it's I do find that our voices aren't being heard to the extent that they should. Um, in my experience, something that I have noticed within my career uh, in choice of something that I'm working towards into is nursing. Um, you do realize that it's a heavily white female dominated uh, profession. That being said, of course, you know, people will argue with, of course, we have diversity in it, but I think the ratio does matter. If there's majority of white people and then you have a few sprinkled colored people, that's not necessarily inclusivity. And inclusivity does matter in professions like nursing and the healthcare system because we need these people to talk on experiences of colored people in the healthcare. I mean, of course, the indigenous people and how they have been discriminated in the healthcare. We need um, people of color to talk about the experience of immigrants, first generation immigrants, uh, Black Canadians, Asian Canadians, and the experience that they have are going to be completely different to a normal white person's experience. And that's why we need representation in the healthcare system to acknowledge these needs. Thank you, Shifa. And um, I agree with your thoughts. Um, what came to my mind was, you know, like movie and TV shows often tokenize women or people of color by including one woman or one person of color in their cast. Um, and, you know, including these characters functions to prevent accusations of sexism or racism uh, based on the mere presence of a woman or a person of color. And portraying a single member of marginalized community is just an empty performance of inclusion without respect for these characters' backgrounds or experiences as oppressed people. Um, and sadly, it doesn't just happen in Hollywood. Um, Hollywood basically just normalize it. And to follow up with what we've, we've been talking about, Shifa, um, what is your experience being a racial minority in the feminist movement? So I think a lot of women of color and um, part of the LGBT community can uh, relate that it's been a hard uh, time for us to identify ourselves as feminists. I know when I first heard the move, uh, like was taught about feminism, it was really hard for me to identify with that movement because I was constantly being uh, silenced by white people, um, white feminists to be exact. Um, the thing with white feminist uh, feminism is that they see things black and white. With women of color, we see we live through nonces and we have experienced situations such as racism and whatnot and cultural um, issues that makes us see nonces. And that's why we have a different perspective. And that kind of leads us to be in, excluded out of the feminist movement because we don't fit that one criteria of the feminist, if you will. Of course, um, through education and whatnot, I've, you know, found my way and I've had to make my own table in nursing. One thing that I'm extremely passionate about is uh, the sexual fetishization of women of color. And it's my area of interest and something that I like to study and speak about. Um, I, I'll put a trigger warning because I will be speaking on the recent Asian attacks and uh, how it relates to fetishization. So with fetishization of women of color, um, it's usually through the fact that women of color are 
often seen as objects through the stereotypes that society has portrayed of us. That can include the hypersexuality stereotypes of Black women, the submissiveness of Asian um, people, uh, Asian women, and what um, and how they are seen to be uh, very submissive and whatnot. And of course, the indigenous women who are constantly going missing, but no one seems to talk about them. And usually when I do speak about this, people are always uh, quick to say, why do you got to bring race into this? Or it's just a preference. And it's very important that we talk about situations like this and bring light to situations um, regarding this topics, because in the mildest cases, it can lead to just dehumanizing women of color and their worth. And in the worst cases, it can lead to situations that we have experienced, unfortunately, in the Atlantic shooting about um, and how that has led that that was the background of it was the fetishization of Asian women. She felt everything you said earlier was super powerful. And I, as an Asian woman myself, I've really it's it's been hard trying to navigate um where i am in a canadian north american society being an asian woman and having to face the same fetishization that caused other asian women to be killed um so it, it it's been a really tough few days and it does um make me angry and it makes me want to do something um on, on the issue. And um, being a part of the Women's Center, um, we have done events in the past to include more BIPOC voices in our center. As an executive member moving forward, I will make sure that our hiring decision for the new executive team will make sure that um, there are lots of um, person of color and, and, and indigenous voices being included. And not only that, um, any female identifying woman, um, you are more than welcome to reach out to us um, on issues. Similarly, if you are um, facing difficulties in trying to process or understand or navigate what is going on or has happened, um, just having a space, not only, only physically, but online for emotional support or any types of support, I think, um, can do a lot of good in the community area. And the fact that the Women's Center is um, peer-based, so we're all students. We see where each other are coming from. Um, we are all here for each other. Um, I, I just want to stress that there are resources available on campus um, to help you through the, these really difficult times. Last week was very emotional for a lot of us, um, and especially the Asian communities. I like to touch on some of the points you both have talked about. And I also question a lot of times how I was treated unfairly, especially when I was still a student where the white female I've encountered with wouldn't want to have anything to do with me, but would be comfortable sharing things about um, women supporting each other or standing against racism on their social media. And deep down in my heart, I knew that they were being selective when it comes to who they support. There are so many ways to support BIPOC women, elevate their voices, listen to their opinions, and encourage them to speak out more. Advocating publicly doesn't just mean praising their work product and ideas, but in 
but it can also look like mentorship and acceptance to to build up on on that point um Raven would you like to talk about um the multiple perspectives of feminism and and how can we uh we build on that how can we develop that as you guys have you know highlighted throughout this entire conversation you know intersectionality and intersectional feminism is something that we really need to focus on as the movement progresses uh you know feminism and women's rights has been something that has been protested since women were excluded we've kind of come too far to to continue denying people of different perspectives and backgrounds their experiences we need to include them going forward and that inclusion comes from education so i just want to say like you know intersectionality is really about the aspects of a person's social and political identities and how they combine to create you know different modes of discrimination and privilege like you know so essentially a framework for how an individual views and interacts with the world so how your gender your caste your sex your race your class both you know socially and economically your sexuality how your religion your disability even just your physical appearance can affect how you are how you view and how you interact with the world and those individual views can affect how you treat others which combine to create that different mode of discrimination and different privileges intersectional feminism is really about how intersectionality shows the way that people's different social identities can overlap and create compounding experiences of discrimination so i as a fat black woman would face you know fat phobia because i have a larger physical appearance i am black so my race compounds in any discrimination that i would face i am a black woman so any misogyny i would face would be as a result of my gender and my sex um so feminism is often discussed separately from these issues you know uh because it can be really uncomfortable especially in a space where white voices are really leading the conversation feminism is often discussed separately from race religion sexuality and this leads to a cycle of lack of awareness as well as you know no real discussion on how to address these compounding factors of discrimination um one factor i would really like to highlight as a black woman is misogynoir so misogynoir is misogyny directed towards black women where my race and gender both play roles in how people view me and how they discriminate against me so these misogynoir has some 
very real consequences for Black women. Black women are less likely to bleed about their pain in the medical sphere. So that leads to higher maternal mortality rates and differences in treatment. Black women are viewed as threatening or angry whenever they speak up for themselves. So that makes Black women feel like they're not allowed to show any emotion or pain or distress and more likely to quiet themselves. And it not only, while I can speak for from a Black perspective, it also plays out as Shifa highlighted in Asian hate that we recently witnessed. Just women in, women in general are viewed as objects for men. And then that compounded with their Asian identity and the stereotypes that are believed about, West, about Asian women in the Western hemisphere are used against them and weaponized to create a very painful experience of discrimination. And so the intersectional, intersectional feminism is extremely important because it helps address these experiences and creates methods to address it. Some individuals feel like they may need to choose aspects of their identity in order to be represented. So as Shifa was saying, sometimes you, when you're hearing about feminism coming from your individual experience where maybe in your religion or in your ethnic background, feminism is portrayed differently. When you come to a Western context, feminism may not be portrayed the same. And it feels like you, this feminism isn't your feminism. Intersectional feminism works to address that, to remove those barriers and make everyone feel welcome and really unite everyone while addressing their individual concerns. And how does the, I feel like the UWC is really great in that, as we have said throughout the podcast, it provides a safe physical space for women, regardless of their um, sex, regardless of their, you know, race, their class, their, sex, um, their sexuality, their religion, their disability or their appearance to have a safe space where they can discuss issues like this, to have a safe space to have these discussions at all. Sue has said, I really hope that going forward, we get to kind of open back the physical space on campus to provide that kind of atmosphere to students. The UWC also perform, provides a platform to women of different perspectives. We had the couch coffee and convos last year, um, and I have conducted interviews with Alicia and Wilhelmina to give a voice to women with different experiences of feminism and to um, not allow them, but to support them in establishing a sense of community and making their voices heard.
you, you provided a lot of really compelling things to think about and some helpful definitions too, as well as some great examples of what the UWC has to do with all of this and how in the past it's provided a safer space for, for these kinds of conversations, for people to also just be and to feel ready to talk about these things. But now it's, it's offering more of that kind of platform space, so a virtual space for that as well and how essential that is. And I think we talked a little bit about this uh, last week when we were getting ready for this episode about how sometimes we need permission. We need explicit permission to have these conversations and having a, a plaque over a door that says, this is a space where you can have those conversations. We, we kind of understand how important that can be in certain contexts. And I, I appreciate how hard you're all working as people involved with the University Women's Center to provide that kind of space online as well when we can't be together physically in, in your space in the sub. So, so that's really important work. Um, so just building on the UWC's role and, and what you folks have been doing in relation to these, these really important topics of inclusion and intersectionality, um, maybe you could just share a few more details of what you think the, the tri-campus university system or, or community can do to foster more inclusivity and the, the valuing of diverse feminist perspectives. One thing that I think uh, the tri-campus space can definitely work to do is, so, is introduce some mandatory courses or topics within some core courses in each degree to ensure that everyone has access to and the opportunity to really acknowledge diversity, equity, inclusivity, and intersectionality honoring or respecting the fact that people have um, intersectional experiences, their framework is based off of their personal experience. And in order to be fair, everyone should have the access and opportunity to educate themselves. And making it mandatory would ensure that in uh, producing a higher quality of student I would say students that are going out aware, going out into the world and aware that there is a kind of global community that they are a part of, even though they are not connected to every individual in the same way, because again, you're in your personal experiences and compound into the different types of oppression and privilege that you may face. So I believe that having some mandatory courses in each degree discipline to ensure that everyone has the access and opportunity to acknowledge these topics would be a great way to start. Uh, the syllabi of these courses should also be audited by the groups that are, you know, best suited to address these kind of topics. So if you're going to be having a month about you know indigenous um, rights and what it is like to be indigenous in that specific discipline having it vetted by an indigenous voice would be a great way to ensure that the information being taught is knowledgeable 
from the perspectives. And it also reduces the labor on people who are being oppressed to educate others. So the labor is labor to educate is not on the minorities to teach others, but by having a syllabus that is vetted by the specific minority group, it allows that content to be taught by anyone, right? Anyone has the power to educate themselves, provided that they're, you know, educating themselves with the right content, so to say. Uh, another way that the tri-campus space can really do a lot to foster inclusivity is just perform an audit of the policies and positions that exist within these institutions. You know, examine their structure and the diverse makeup of their of those in leadership positions, you know, ensure that individuals in positions of power are of diverse backgrounds because, you know, the, you can have a diverse institution, but to tie it back to Shifa's point, to ensure that there's not a tokenization of these diverse voices, you also have to give them power and the safe space to effect change. Uh, people in positions of power may often feel somewhat like they're threatening their opportunity if there is not a sense of trust within the institution to say, I am here, I can criticize or even suggest ways for change without jeopardizing my opportunity, my position within this institution. And that level of trust is really built upon by ensuring support for diverse populations within the community. I think at this point, each institution should really consider getting a counselor of a diverse background uh, because it provides such a overwhelming sense of relief for students from a minority group to speak to someone who can understand their issues. Several students of intersectional backgrounds who are from, you know, different minority groups may not feel comfortable going to a white counselor for mental health because how they, because they feel like they cannot express issues about race, issues about their home country. They may not even feel comfortable expressing their issues with mental health in English. And I feel like inter international students definitely deserve the right to access to proper me mental support and mental health care. And this counselor would not only be serving this diverse population of students, they can serve the entire community as well. It is not like you just have one counselor that is there for all the LGBTQ plus issues, one counselor that only exists to serve all the international students. That would be defeatist. 
this counselor can also serve to support the wider community, but you also have someone who, if not a part of the community is explicitly trained in supporting issues that are based on race. Maybe they have a secondary language that you can say, we offer support for people who speak Mandarin. Another way that the tri-campus space it can ensure that these diverse populations are getting the support they need is by ensuring that minority student groups receive dedicated support. One thing, a common theme that has been through our throughout our conversation today is that there is a sense of community and in that community is a sense of trust. If a minority group does not feel like there's a, a sense of community on their campus, it isolates them. It does not provide a platform for them to share issues that are affecting their group, which we would need in order to address those issues. If people don't have a platform, if people don't feel safe enough to come out and speak out against or highlight any issues in the tri-campus space. So ensuring that student groups that are started receive support. Uh, I believe best through a dedicated board and clear funding would be a great way to start. In the Women's Center, I feel, has benefited immensely by having a dedicated space, a clear space with a plaque on it that says this is where you can go to address issues like that. Um, the 203 as well, uh, they have a dedicated physical space that is a signal to those that this here is a community for you. So more work needs to be done to foster those kind of student groups. And to tie it all back to the Women's Center, their provision of a safe and supportive space for women, regardless of their gender, their sex, their race, their sexuality, their disability, their religion, uh, the tri-campus space can really follow that that example. Awesome. Thank you so much, Robin. All of you have shared so many interesting things today, things to think about, important points about what it means to create a supportive and safe space for all women, all women regardless of, of gender, sex, race, sexuality, disability, religion, class, uh, that we, we need a space that allows room for every voice to be part of this conversation. So maybe as a way to, to end our, our really rich conversation today would be to talk just a little bit more about the UWC as you started to do there at the end, Robin, um, and about how students can connect with you folks and can connect with the UWC. Um, I, if you're listening, if you want to get involved in the feminist movement, what to want to learn about more about intersectionality within the feminist movement, feel free to reach out to us. Um, we have volunteering positions available year-round. We do train our volunteers with a lot of materials to help them support other women and their concerns around sexual assault and sexual violence and also educate them on how to best support one another. Other than volunteering with the Women's Center, I would also encourage there are any student-led group on campus that you feel passionate about, please don't hesitate to reach out and join them. Um, the biggest struggle right now with a lot of student-led group is um, the lack of participation that kind of leads the group to fizzle out after a, a year or two being um, in operation. So lending them that hand, um, volunteering whenever they have events, 
participating in their events, um, just being active on campus, feel this sense of community and support that we all have for one another so that whenever there is um, hardship in your own life or something happens in the world that affects you personally, you know that there are people like-minded who will support you and encourage you to do whatever it is that you want to do. And I truly believe that as students, um, we not only owe it to our own self and our mental health and well-being to seek out that sense of community, but also to foster that for other people that we care about as well. Um, we are available on Facebook and Instagram at University Women's Center or U Women's Center on Instagram. We also have a Gmail that people can send us emails at the University Women's Center at gmail.com. Um, and also we have a website. You can look us up on the student union website. Um, we should be listed as one of these um, physical space on campus. Or whenever campus reopens again and things are back to normal, our room is in the student union building room 129 and we serve the tri-campus area. Feel free to drop by whenever, grab a snack, bring your computer, work in, in the space and have amazing conversation. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sue. And thank you, Robin and Shifa and Emily for, for sharing all your thoughts and perspectives, as well as your experience working with the University Women's Center today. Uh, it was really wonderful to hear about all of that and to, to know what kind of community you folks are working on building because you're putting a lot of effort into doing that. And we were grateful that you are putting that kind of effort in and that you were willing to share all of this with us today. Every single one of you have brought up so many important things. And uh, before we leave, um, I just wanted to mention that it is impossible to feel safe in a place where intersectional feminism doesn't exist. Um, and intersectional feminism doesn't mean anything if women who hold power and uh, privilege still struggle to support and advocate for those whose identities that are foreign to them. Thank you for listening to our third episode of Talk of the Hill, Voices of International Students, Perspective on Feminism and Activism. Special thanks to our guest speakers, Emily, Sue, Raven Lee, and Shifa. You can find out more about University Women's Center information and resources in our today's episode description. If you'd like to get in touch with us about the podcast, contact us at isao at unb.ca. Thanks for listening. And one real advice, stay hydrated. And until next time.